What's it like to give the gift of sight when traveling to a foreign country? How do you stand apart when applying to ophthalmology residency? Should you wear goggles when playing contact sports? Today on Talking Emissions and Med Student Life. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. All right, welcome to another edition of Talking Admissions and Med Student Life. Uh, I've got a great guest today, Dr. Jeff Petty. Um, and when he's talking about missions, you know, not only to medical school, but uh, also uh, residency programs. And Dr. Petty is an ophthalmologist, correct? I am yeah. an ophthalmologist. Um, and then also, also newly... Uh, yeah, coming. I'll be the residency program director. New residency program director. So I'm very excited to talk to Dr. Petty today. Um, so Dr. Petty, to start off with, how did you decide to become an ophthalmologist? That's a good question. Ophthalmology was the first... My first experience in medicine, uh, I had, as an undergrad, uh, looked for ways or opportunities to be involved in medicine. The first one that I really came across was an opportunity working in an operating room for an ophthalmologist. It was in a private practice. Uh, I enjoyed the experience. It was my window into medicine. When I arrived in medical school, I didn't think I would do ophthalmology. I had other interests. and But when I was in the academic center doing learning ophthalmology it was very different than my experience in the private practice and it uh, it really intrigued me in a way that it hadn't before that, that's really the main the main uh, I, that was that was my course to ophthalmology mm-hmm. excellent and and from my understand uh, went to the U for undergrad correct Ohio State for medical school correct. and then you came back here for residency yes all right so in a way you're like ideal to be the new ro- uh, residency program director because you've kind of gone through the right. steps right so let's talk about the ophthalmology program here um, how long of a program is it uh, ophthalmology is three years of ophthalmology specific training one year uh, of an intern year is also required so you'll finish medical school do one year of general medicine, general surgery, and then enter into three years of ophthalmology-specific training. And where did you do your intern year? Uh, it was here. Okay. Uh, yeah. Our intern year is integrated. Oh, it's integrated. All right. So that means like all f- – so you, when you match, you match for all four years. Correct. Okay. And then so you did internal – it was a prelim internal medicine. Correct. Okay. Fantastic. And um, how many residents do you take a year? We take three per year. Okay. And what, where, where do they do rotations at? I mean, what does their kind of curriculum look like? So – uh, the ge- the general curriculum for ophthalmology residents is learning clinical ophthalmology initially, and then transitioning more in their last year to doing a, quite a heavy surgical load. Uh, the rotations are here at the University of Utah at the Moran Eye Center, also at the Children's Hospital and the VA Medical Center. All right, great. And then, uh, do ophthalmologists take call? I know that's a joke among med students at times. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yes, ophthalmologists do take call. Uh, there are less ophthalmic emergencies than in other uh, specialties, but our residents, for instance, when they're on call uh, and and covering the overnight uh, and weekend shifts, they are extremely busy. Okay, um, they they can expect to get a couple hours of sleep, but. No, there's no guarantees. And so is it mostly like, you know, ER emergencies or is it like someone on the floor that's calling, that needing help? And what does a call look like for an ophthalmologist? For the, for the most part, it's emergency room or uh, existing patients uh, who have recently had surgery. They're calling in with problems. Oh, I see. Um, we, we are the referral center for really the Intermountain West for uh, ophthalmic emergencies. So we also take calls from 
Nevada, Idaho, Wyoming, portions of Colorado, wow. even down into Arizona. Wow. Sounds pretty busy. <laughs> it, it, yes. Yeah. The residents would uh-huh. uh, would be really upset if I said call was not busy. So. <laughs> That's good. Um, and all right. So like a four-year training. And then I know there's tons of options as far as fellowships. What kind of uh, fellowship options are there? So fellowship options are uh, there's different subspecialties within the eye. There's retina surgery, mm-hmm. uh, cornea surgery, glaucoma surgery. Neuroophthalmology, which uh, you can become a neuroophthalmologist either via neurology residency with a fellowship or ophthalmology residency with a fellowship. There's a branch of plastic surgery called oculoplastic surgery, which is available as well. Okay. And then is there a, is there a pediatric one as well? Did you correct? Okay. Yeah, there's a pediatric. And where do where do you graduates usually go into if if they choose one of those paths? Is there a more popular one than others? You know, I'd say. Half of the graduates will do comprehensive ophthalmology, general ophthalmology, without a fellowship. Mm-hmm. The rest, the, the most popular specialties are retina, glaucoma, and corneal surgeries. Okay. Why is that? Why do you think those are the most popular? Uh, that's where the most demand is. Um, the Retina, for instance, that's sort of our more hardcore surgical specialty. They do take a lot more call. They have a lot more emergencies. Their lifestyle is much more akin to a general surgeon's lifestyle. Um, they're also compensated uh, for that mm-hmm. financially. Um, cornea is quite um, quite popular. That's where you're doing refractive surgeries like LASIK, uh, cornea transplants. There are less emergencies. Um, compensation is quite good uh, mm-hmm. for all the subspecialties. Wow, wow. Um, and then did you do a fellowship yourself? Uh, I did. Mine was sort of a... Uh, a, a tailor-made, uh, made-up fellowship. So my fellowship uh, was international ophthalmology, so I spent a good portion of the year uh, studying, learning international ophthalmology, traveling. Uh, I would spend a month in Nepal during that year. Uh, other parts of my specialty were learning complex reconstructive surgery of the eye. So with all the traumas that we see, learning how to reconstruct an iris, uh, a lens. And finally... Um, learning some academic ophthalmology uh, to be able to really understand how we're training, mm-hmm. why we're training the way we are, and the directions we should be moving in training. Cool. And, I mean, I, I love, Dr. Petty, this is a great discussion because I've been asking this a lot. Like, where is the field of ophthalmology heading? I mean, where where, where is it going? You know, ophthalmology, you know, it, it's a small organ, mm-hmm. uh, but... You know, with that small organ, there are you know eight or nine different specialties because uh, we're, we're heading in really drastically different directions. Uh, retina, for instance, the main retinal diseases are macular degeneration, diabetic eye disease. Both of those disease, those diseases are irreversible blinding diseases. Uh, the the medications and treatments that we're developing there uh, are are helping, uh, they're slowing, uh, but th- those are battles that we're really not, um, we're not curing, we're not restoring vision in the retina. Uh, whereas in something like corneal surgery, we're now taking patients who are uh, blind and through a cataract procedure, a lens implantation, taking someone who is blind by any measure and they can be 20-20 within 24 hours after surgery. Um, a disease like glaucoma, again, irreversible, progressive, blinding disease. 
that we are just trying to understand the basics of to even get a handle on. So it's it's a quite broad. Uh, it's it's an extremely exciting field uh, mm-hmm. with everything going on, but very broad. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned doing international travels. And does does the Moran Eye Center, don't they have a program where they kind of send out people to kind of do eye surgeries? Can you tell, talk a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah the, the International Division at Moran is one of the, it's one of the greatest things I've had an opportunity in my life to be a part of. Um, they've supported me to uh, travel to Trinidad, Honduras, um, be going to Ghana in this next year. Again, I spend a month in Nepal. Uh, International ophthalmology is, is, in my mind, the most exciting part of ophthalmology. Uh, there are 40 million people in the world that are blind. Uh, 80% of that blindness is either preventable or curable. 90% of the 40 million people are in develop- the developing world. Uh, in, in the United States, you'll have one ophthalmologist for every you know, thirty to 40,000 people. And in Africa, you have one ophthalmologist per one million people. Wow. And the, the work that we're now doing in the international realm is beyond flying in, doing surgery, and flying out. Uh, that does not put a dent in, in, the, um, in, in really curing uh, blindness there. It's really now developing relationships in these countries bringing their surgeons, their technicians to the United States, sending them to other areas in the world where ophthalmology is flourishing, training, sending them back, sending our doctors to them to work with them. So while we do some, uh, we always do surgery wherever we go, the primary goal is training. It's not, um, the surgery is exciting. It's, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's something that I has been more impactful to me than I ever would have imagined. But it's really building ophthalmology in the world. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I love what you said, Dr. Petty, because, you know, I, I am not an ophthalmologist, but I have friends, colleagues are ophthalmologists. And they tell me about that feeling that, like, you know, someone, like you talked about, is blind. You do an operation and they can see. And that's incredibly rewarding. And I, I wish there were, more, there were more procedures in medicine like that. And in that way, they kind of talk about that, just that rush of like, wow, you know, they come, they're led by family members, and then they have the surgery and then... You know, they can start, you know, recovery period, but then they leave and they can see. And yeah. it's just, it's just a beautiful thing. So, you know, it is, I, I, I can think of every, every trip that I've been on and think of specific people that I've seen. And the, the thing that's so, it, it's so simple from my perspective to be able to do the procedure, do the surgery. Um, but in, in any one individual's life, they've been now taken out of their community, isolated. Uh, They're a mouth without hands is sort of one of the sayings that you'll hear. They they can't contribute uh, to their family, their community. And not only can they not contribute, they're now taking someone else in their family or their community out of a productive situation just to care for them. And again, you're able to return these people back to uh, productivity. And it's not um, unique to the developing world. We just last week uh, completed our, what we call our charity surgery day, where we did uh, 20 uh, surgeries uh, completely free of cost to the patients. And in the United States, uh, for some reason, there were there are still bilaterally blind people who just need surgery to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, several of the patients last week were patients who 
again, they're in the identical situation as some of the patients in the developing world. Yeah. Uh, where's your next trip planned? Uh, next trip will be to Ghana. Uh, okay. We have a strong uh, relationship with the hospital in Ghana. Um, there's also Grenada and Bolivia in the next year that are also likely mm-hmm. possibilities. So. You know, a question I've always wanted to ask Dr. Petty, um, and you, you, I'm in the right moment to ask it. I mean, when you go to these places and you know that the surgeries and the training do so much, like how do you as a physician, like it's always the disease of more. Oh, I can do one more surgery mm-hmm. or I can stay, you know, I can not sleep. Like, you know, I can only sleep two hours tonight and that mm-hmm. extra hour I can do an extra surgery or train someone for an extra hour. How do you balance that when you go to these places? Because I just see the demand is so great and, and it's so beneficial. How, how do you balance that? You know, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know any surgeon you know, or doctor for that matter who would, you know, say, I'm going to go to sleep now. I'm going to turn away this, this surgery. You'll have to wait till next year. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, we are limited by the amount of hours in a day. And the, the way that you, you manage that and plan ahead is, uh, by developing systems within the country so that they are able to manage everything they can manage. And Mm -hmm. then the things they might need help with, um, they are setting it up ahead of time. They, they understand, you know, you can operate for you know, 14 hours in a day and that's as much as you can operate. So you, you take the patients and you triage them. Who are the ones with the most need? You have a bilaterally blind mother. She's at the top of the list. Um, a young person who can't go to school, they're at the top of the list. Um, it's, you know, that, that kind of triaging healthcare, uh, it's something we don't, talk about a lot in the United States, but, um, you, you just have to find a way to give the care to those with the most need, uh, mm-hmm. given your limitations. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, let's switch gears, Dr. Petty. Um, let's talk about the Moran eye center. You know, we're in this beautiful brand new building. Um, and I, I've heard whispers of expansion down the road. Can you, can you talk, can you gotta talk about this. I mean, it's a freestanding ophthalmological eye hospital. I mean, that's, that's terrific to me. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, t- to paint a picture. So, um, at the medical center there, there's the hospital and that's where most outpatient departments are. That's where you see patients in clinic. Most specialties will then do surgery in the operating room at the hospital. Ophthalmology is unique in that it, it actually functions best, uh, when we are able to be in our own specific environment. And so that's really across the country, the, the impetus for building these freestanding eye centers. So, now, as uh, if someone, uh, an undergrad, were to drive up to Primary Children's or the hospital, they'll see a, a gigantic freestanding eye hospital. Thirty years ago, we were a one-person department in the hospital, uh, and then we've now grown into to what it has become, one of the premier eye centers in not just the country but the world. Uh, half of our building is research. Uh, half of our building is clinical and surgical. And... Yes, um, we have already outgrown this building uh, in five years, and we are building a building in the south end of the valley near a Fashion Place Mall where we'll essentially double our clinical capacity. And then we also have the right-of-way to build down uh, on lower campus just in front of the building. So That's, that's terrific. Um, and let's, let's talk about the program. All right, how many people... Uh, so you said there's three spots. Yeah. How many how many applications do you get for medical students? We get 380 applications 
each cycle. Okay. Uh, we interview 28 people, and there are three spots. Um, those numbers are staggering, and they might uh, scare someone off. But overall, if you're a highly competitive um, medical student, you know you've got about an 80 to 90 percent chance of matching. So it's not you know you're one of 380 for three spots. Uh, you're one of 380 for you know, a lot of spots across the country. Mm -hmm. And what do you look for uh, in applicants when they apply to your program? The thing that, you know, it's really no different than what a medical school would look for in an applicant. You need to be academically competitive. You also need to be involved in a lot of different things. And you also need to be able to articulate why you want to, you know, go into a particular field. Beyond that, I really look at who try to figure out who a person is, how they're going to fit into our program, and is this a person that is potentially going to go on and change the world? And ultimately, that's what we want to do, or find the trainees who are going to go make a difference. And if in your, you know, your CV or your resume, you've shown that you know you've done some really fantastic, innovative things in any field. It can be research. It can be community service. It can be international work. Whatever it is, if you can come and articulate a passion clearly, uh, we're going to want you mm -hmm. as one of our residents. It sounds like to me, and forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, um, it sounds like you know board scores, step one, step two score is important, but it's not the be-all, end-all. You kind of look at what I call holistic review. You look at the whole person. You look at the different activities. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, you do have to meet a certain threshold. You know, okay. ophthalmology is a competitive specialty. It probably feels a lot. It, for me, it felt a lot like applying to medical school all over again. You've got all these great undergrads. A lot of them have done research. They're all smart. They have great MCAT scores, and you're competing for you know a select number of spots from some of the better undergrads. So then you you're in med school. You're stoked. You're excited. Mm -hmm. You're there, and now you're up against it again. You've got to figure out a way to again really meet meet the academic rigors and criteria and you have to be one of the more competitive med students to get into ophthalmology you just have to check that off once you you've done that okay now what is it about you that that's going to really change the world awesome um, do you recommend that if you're a, a med student outside of the University of Utah School of Medicine to do a visiting rotation? Is that something you look at? Yeah, great question. So um, you know, for any undergrads, I guess, listening, in medical school, you can do a rotation at another institution. Usually during the fourth year. Exactly, during fourth year. It, in general, I, yes, if you're really interested in coming to the University of Utah for residency, it's helpful to you to come and do an away rotation. That being said, you know, we we get a better look at who you are and how you're functioning, and that can either make help you distinguish yourself as an outstanding applicant, and we want you even more than we would had you not come. It can also make us look at you and say, you know what, this is a fantastic applicant. They're just not quite the right fit for our culture. Or it can make us say, this is someone who we do not want in our training program. Uh, this is someone who not only won't fit in, someone who, who you know maybe has some, they don't treat staff well. Uh, they're a little bit belittling to nursing, and those are, those are patient or people that we don't interview. 
Fant- that's that's good news. Good news to share. So um, let's jump ahead. Let's pretend that you know, like you're one of the 28. You're offered an interview. What does an interview day look like when they come to your program? So we interview seven per interview day. Okay. Uh, our interview day is one where we we want you to be around our trainees as much as possible. You go to dinner with them the night before. The entire morning is spent with residents. We want you to see the culture we have here so you can make a, a good assessment of whether or not you can fit in. Uh, after that, after all of that, just being with trainees, hearing the kind of dirty secrets about the training program, then we do our interview. Our interview is a group interview. Uh, it's an interview that uh, might sound intimidating. Uh, panel interview, I guess, is the, the term. You know, my my vision of a panel interview was me sitting in a small chair in front of people sitting up at a at a giant table looking down on me. And I call them throwing grenade questions at you. <laughs> and, 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 you know, yeah, when I thought about that, it scared me. I mm-hmm. thought I'd pee my pants in my interview. Mm-hmm. How it actually is, it's you sitting down with a group of people who really want you to feel comfortable. They want you to succeed if you're comfortable as an applicant, you're going to be able to let them see who you are. So we really do a lot to try to help you feel comfortable and ask you, just tell us about yourself. Why do you want to be in ophthalmology? What what could you bring to the field of ophthalmology? We just we kind of want to get to the core of who they are. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And so it sounds like they do they have like individual interviews or it's just it's just just this panel after meeting with the residents. Yeah. So there there's the panel interview. Okay. Then each one of them will meet with our chairman, and each one of them will have an individual interview with me as the program director. Okay, fantastic. Um, and then you know, switching gears. I mean, Doctor Pay, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot. Um, if you know, they, if a resident, if a med student comes to your program, what kind of research opportunities are there, and can they go on these international uh, trips? Yeah, I took uh, a second year medical student, Kevin Garf, mm-hmm. uh, to Honduras with me. It was one of the most rewarding uh, interactions and experiences that I've had. Uh, he he absolutely just he he made the trip so much better. There are international opportunities. There are there's an abundance of research opportunities. If someone's really interested in trying to make their mark in research, uh, there's no shortage of projects and people to work with here. Okay. Fantastic. Um, and then lastly, just to kind of make it fun, because, hey, I'm talking to ophthalmologists. Did you grow up in Utah? I did. Yeah. Okay. Did you root for the Utah Jazz growing up? I did. The basketball team? All right. So, you know, growing up, this was a point of contention between me and my mom. Thurl Bailey, yeah. right? Always wore goggles. Yes. A very famous jazz player. And my mother and I, when I was playing sports growing up, she would always like, oh, you know, you should wear goggles, you know, because heaven forbid your eye gets poked out. Like, is there an official policy? Because I've always wondered this because I still play sports and, you know, I feel like we, we make fun of the people that wear goggles on right. the court. But then part of me thinks like, wow, you know, because I've seen some kind of graphic things happen on yeah. a basketball court. Like, so is there an official policy on this from a ophthalmologist point of view? Yeah, an official policy would be you should wear safety eye protection anytime you're doing something that you could have an eye injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Amari Stoudemire, uh, one of the more famous NBA players who wears goggles, he wears goggles because when he got poked in the eye, he had a retina detachment. Oh. The majority of the time, a retina detachment can be repaired. A retina detachment, you know, 5% of the time may need another operation and even less percent it can cause irreversible blindness his mm-hmm. career would be over and so the stakes are high and that's why we you know we we recommend 
wearing safety, you know, safety goggles, eye equipment, anytime you're doing something that's dangerous at the same time, you know, no one does. And, and these injuries are quite rare. So, uh, just like with it, everything else, you know, you wouldn't wrap up your two year old in bubble wrap because Mm -hmm. there's a chance they could get hurt. Um, you, you, you want, you, you kind of try to make, you know, hedge your bets, make mm-hmm. educated guesses. If you've had an eye injury, you're going to wear safety glasses the rest of your life. That's right? kind of like the horse is already left the barn. Though. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's, it's very fascinating in our culture because, you know, like we do so many things. Like the eye is a very important organ. And, like, you know, I'm out there with the weed whacker. And then, like, you know, my wife is like, oh, you should, you know, wear goggles. I'm going, ah, I don't know. But, it's like, you know, but, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one of those things that I've always struggled about. Like, like you said, like how much protection do you give? You can't wrap yourself in bubble wrap. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things I wanted to ask. Cause I just remember growing up, like Thurl Bailey was very unique in wearing those goggles. So who knows? Maybe that was the genesis of your desire to be an ophthalmologist. Who knows? So. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I think about that more. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, Dr. Petty, thanks for your time. I really appreciate you. Thanks for listening to talking admissions and med student life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.